Loving Father, we ask now that as we turn to your word, that by your Holy Spirit, you would indeed show us what it means to have loving leadership in your church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, who are your spiritual parents? I don't know if you've ever really thought about that before, but all of us to some extent have a person or two who were really influential in bringing us to Jesus. Uh, I've got a few. I, I think of my two grandmothers, uh, Nana Wood and Gran McNeil. Uh, both of these wise and godly women took a special interest in my young life, uh, especially at the time because my parents weren't followers of Jesus at that time. And uh, Nana and Gran have gone to be with the Lord, but they were spiritual parents. Uh, I think also of my school chaplain, Alex Abbott-Smith. He taught the Bible in such a way that that really helped me understand what it meant to follow Jesus. And he also invested deeply in the Christian leaders of the future. And I think I'm here today as a leader because of his ministry to me, amongst others. I think also of my youth minister when I was a teenager and then a youth leader, Ken Moser. Uh, he was one who inspired me to actually go into full-time gospel work and uh, to seek to change the world through effective and faithful ministry. There's another one, and that is my MTS supervisor, who was the church minister for my church for a number of years, John Woodhouse. He, he showed me the power and the passion of preaching, and uh, his wise and calm leadership has been a real inspiration to me in my ministry as well. I'm not always wise, I'm not always calm, but I do have a great model there. There are many others who are my spiritual parents, and I wonder who your spiritual parents might be. Who has shown you who, at what it means to faithfully follow Jesus? Who has inspired you to keep following Jesus through the hard times? Who has said the difficult things to you that you need to hear? It might be that you don't have any spiritual parents. Maybe you worked out how to follow Jesus without someone specifically leading you or, or speaking to you. Or maybe there were just so many people you can't identify one in particular. It could also be that you haven't yet quite crossed the line to be a follower of Jesus yet. And there are all these people who are influencing you at the moment, inviting you to church, encouraging you to watch online, wherever it is. Uh, they may in turn be your spiritual parents down the track. But what we do know is that spiritual parents are a blessing from God. And the Lord has been pleased to use many spiritual parents to bring growth in so many of us who are here today. Today we're looking at the ninth talk in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And we're going to hear Paul talk about what it means for him to be a spiritual parent to the people in Corinth. He's going to talk about his relationship with them and what it involved. He's going to show them some important aspects of being a spiritual parent. And part of that will be his insistence that he needs to discipline them. He needs to discipline them like a loving parent. And we'll see some of that in a moment. And what this will do is it'll give us a very important insight into how God uses people to grow his people. And it'll show us how we should act as we parent others and how we are the spiritual kids of other spiritual parents. Well, how does it start? Well, it's right here in verse 14 of chapter 4. I am not writing these things to shame you. Oh, 
If you've just sort of tuned in, if you're in the middle of a conversation, you think, whoa, hang on a second, what's been spoken about just there? Well, here's the verse before. We looked at it last week. You said, we appeal gently when evil things are said about us, and yet we are treated like the world's garbage, like everybody's trash, right up to the present moment. If you were with us last week, you would have remembered that Paul was basically saying that the apostles were like rubbish in the world's sight. They basically were unimpressive. The apostles looked unimpressive. You contrast that with what the people in Corinth seem to want. Uh, They want to have fancy, impressive, worldly leaders who are loved and accepted by everybody. But Paul, who's the guy who founded the church, he's not like that at all. He's completely the opposite. He's the guy that they'd sort of make excuses about. It's like, okay, everybody, in a moment, Paul's going to come up and speak. Now, when he comes, sorry if he says stuff that's a bit awkward or a bit weird, and sorry if he comes across as a bit brash, but anyway, trust us, it'll be okay. He's that kind of guy. He doesn't look impressive. He doesn't sound impressive. There's nothing impressive about him at all. And that is a problem for the people at Corinth because they're all about fancy looks and and trying to fit into the world in every way they can. But Paul has said to them, that is wrong. Because think about what our leader's like. Who's our leader? Jesus, okay. What was he like? He was humiliated. Uh, What about the apostles? Well, they were humiliated as well. Oh, but the Corinthians, they're in a different league of their own. They won't be humiliated. They'll be impressive. They'll fit in really well. They'll look like everybody else does. They'll be well regarded. And Paul's saying, where do you get this from? How do you misunderstand it so so profoundly? Why is it that you become so arrogant that you think that you are in a better league than Paul or Jesus? So that's why he comes in and he says, listen, I don't mean to say these things to shame you. But instead, what we will see is that Paul says these hard things because he loves them. He loves them. We see it in verse 14. I'm not writing these things to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children, my children whom I love. That's why he warns them. I'm sure the Apostle Paul was a pretty busy kind of guy. He had a whole lot of church planting stuff to deal with. He could have heard these reports back from Corinth and thought, ah, forget them. They're a write-off. They've completely missed the point. I'll go off and plant a church somewhere else or I'll go and visit those other nice people in those other churches where they don't mess up so badly. But he didn't think that at all. He felt that he had the need to warn them. And he did that because... He knew that their view of life in the church was dangerously wrong. And that's because their view of Jesus was ultimately dangerously wrong. Their view of following Jesus was wrong. Because if they really thought that following Jesus was all about having a nice, impressive life that made them popular with everybody, then they've misunderstood what it means to follow Jesus. Because as soon as they start to head down that pathway to to fit into the world, then they are at serious risk of losing it all. They need to stop where they're going, turn around, do a U-turn and come back in the opposite direction because otherwise they are heading for danger. 
Because if a person thinks that following Jesus is all about being healthy and wealthy and attractive, they're not listening to Jesus. Remember what Jesus said? He said to his disciples, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. You want to be a follower of Jesus? You need to get ready to be humiliated like Jesus did. That is what following Jesus really looks like. But there's another risk. There's another risk to living a Christian life that expects health, wealth and acceptance. And that is that when it inevitably doesn't happen, then it can shatter someone's faith. Because when prosperity fails, faith can be shattered. See, if someone thinks that God gives you health in return for you being devoted to him, then it's fine when you're healthy. You say, how good is my health? I've just had another checkup. The doctor says, I'm totally fine. Wow, that, that must mean that I've been doing lots of good things for God and he's really happy with me and he really loves my devotion. That's why I'm so healthy. But then you go back to the doctor with a funny cough and you hear all of the answers and the pathology comes back and it's bad news after bad news and you think, oh, what have I done to make God so angry with me? So you get this view wrong and everything is a mess. Because if you think that following Jesus guarantees a happy, healthy life, then when you or a loved one gets sick, then you go into a deep crisis. Because if you think that following Jesus means you will escape every problem on earth, then when things go wrong, you will be in a deep crisis. Mark my words. See, my job as your pastor is to prepare you to suffer. We all need to know how to suffer well and to be ready for it when it comes. We need to know how to suffer well. We need to know how to keep our faith when we lose our health. We need to know how to keep our faith when suffering strikes you or a loved one. And that is why I need to warn you when it looks like you're wandering towards worldliness. That's what Paul did to those in Corinth. And it's what I need to do to you and you need to do to me and we need to do together. But he's got an extra reason that he does this. And that's because he sees himself as their spiritual father. Uh, verse 15. For even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. Uh, if the people in Corinth were listening to my sermon today, when I said to them, who's your spiritual dad? They'd probably say, Paul. And he knew it, they knew it. And even if there were thousands of others who told them about Jesus, they knew that Paul occupied a special place in their spiritual life. And that is why Paul put everything on the line to tell them the tough things. And it all comes down to them being his spiritual kids because he's their spiritual dad. But how did he become their spiritual dad? Well, he says it in the next verse. He says, For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. This special bond of 
spiritual father and spiritual child happened when Paul preached the good news of Jesus to them, what the Bible calls the gospel. You see, through the gospel, they became family. That's why the preaching of the gospel is so important to everything we do. It's why our draft mission statement has as its third point, proclaim Christ faithfully. We proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ faithfully because it's the only gospel that will save people. It's only by believing the gospel that a person can be friends with Jesus and then it's only by the gospel that a person can be part of the family of believers. And that's what brings us spiritual kids and spiritual dads and mums. You become part of the family when you believe the gospel. It's that simple. And it creates all these new relationships, including spiritual father and child, but also brothers and sisters, that we've now become brothers and sisters in Christ, if you trust in Jesus. Isn't that cool? But what does it all mean for Paul and his relationship to the Corinthians? Well, he says, verse 16, so I urge you to imitate me. It's a pretty bold thing for him to say. In fact, I'd find it pretty uncomfortable if I said, so you need to imitate me. Because I think, Whoa, I know my shortcomings, I know my failures, and I don't want you to be just like me in so many ways. And those people who are closest to me know my failures, they know I sin, they know I'm far from perfect. But if I'm going to be a leader and a pastor, I need to expect that you will imitate me to some extent and in fact if you're a youth leader or a kids leader or a growth group leader or if you have a leadership in all sorts of different roles in our church people are going to imitate you as well see Paul wants them to imitate him he wants them to imitate him but you know if you're a leader you can know that people will imitate you. You know, you could say, look, I, I'm happy to be involved in the kids' ministry, but I don't really want them to actually follow me and do exactly what I say. I, I, can I sort of tell them stuff without having to have them model it on me? Can it be sort of like, do as I say, not do as I do? Is that going to work? No. It's impossible for you to get that, and it's just not going to work. And if you can't do it, don't do it. If you're not prepared for people to follow your actions, then you shouldn't be prepared to be a leader of kids, youth, adults, or anyone, really. But what's happening here in verse 16 is actually a step higher than that. Because Paul is an, he's the apostle, right? He's not just your average, everyday Joe who happens to be a, a minister or something like that, or a youth leader or whatever. He is the apostle who's telling the people in Corinth to imitate him. He's telling the readers of this letter to imitate him. And he's got a special ministry. And it's a ministry that is different to our own ministry to here, that we have here today together. And that is why the New Testament letters by Paul and Peter and the other writers are so important. Because they are apostles. I'm not an apostle. None of you guys are. They were apostles in the New Testament. And they've been used by the Holy Spirit to write the word of God, which is how we treat his word today as the very word of God. Now, we don't actually know how Paul lived. We don't have any video footage of it. We don't have a 
biography or an authorised or unauthorised biography or autobiography or anything of that like that. We've just got what's written in the Bible. And we've got bits in the book of Acts that talked about how he became a Christian and stuff like that. And we've got what he said in his letters. But how then would we imitate him? Well, the Corinthians needed to imitate him. And we need to imitate him as we hear his teachings. And this is important because we need to treat his letters as God's word. We must treat Paul's letters as God's word. You know, some Christians, especially those who are of the more liberal and progressive persuasion, they'll write off parts of the New Testament as being outdated or irrelevant. They'll refuse to listen to Paul's writings because they think that his views are out of date with modern thinking and practice. And they're certainly not going to imitate his behaviour and they definitely won't imitate his teaching. But we can't do that. The Bible is the Bible. The word of God is God's word. And we need to imitate Paul because that's what it means to humbly submit to God's word. We don't have access to Paul in the flesh. The Corinthians didn't most of the time because he was off planting churches and doing other stuff. But he wanted to have impact in their lives and so he did this. Verse 17. That's why I have sent Timothy my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He's going to send a representative to them to remind them of who he is and how he ministers and how he lives. That's Timothy. Uh, He was Paul's right-hand man. And now we're going to see just how it is that he's going to represent Paul to the people of Corinth. And he's going to do that so they'll have a fresh reminder of how to imitate Paul. And here's what he's going to do. He says, he will, verse 17, he will remind you of how I follow Christ Jesus, just as I teach in all the churches wherever I go. Timothy's role was to remind the people in Corinth about how Paul follows Jesus. And it was also to remind them of what he taught in the churches. Paul's job, Timothy's job, was, well, Paul sent Timothy to remind them of his ministry. His job was to help them know and understand Paul's ministry more and more. Because as they imitate and obey what Paul did and said, they would be living in a way that followed the teachings of Christ. Can you see here there's an important link here? There's a link between what Paul said and there's a link between what he did. There's a link between ethics and doctrine, between walking the walk and talking the talk. They are together. And that is why we carefully teach and encourage each other in the scriptures. And it's really important when things happen that requires some serious attention. And that's where Paul will now turn as this section comes to a close. Because he's about to open up about a serious matter that is damaging the church in Corinth. But before we get to those details, he does have a few more fatherly leadership kind of things to say as as he now rebukes the Corinthians. He says in verse 18, Some of you have become arrogant, thinking I will not visit you again. You know, they thought that they could get away with their behaviour because Paul was like a a cut-and-run leader. You know, they basically acted like Paul had deserted them. Oh, he's planted his little church. He's got another notch on his belt. He's off gallivanting around planting more churches. He won't come and have anything to do with us. He doesn't care for us. So we'll go off and do our own little thing. 
But that's not the case. He says in verse 19, but I will come and soon if the Lord lets me. And then I'll find out whether these arrogant people just give pretentious speeches or whether they really have God's power. He says, I'm, I'll, I'll be there. Oh, well, God willing. You notice that, notice that he says, I'll be there if the Lord lets me. It's a really helpful model, you know, in life when you say to someone, I'll be there on Wednesday at five o'clock, God willing. I've said that to a few people who are not followers of Jesus yet and they sort of say, oh, what, so you're not really sure if you'll be there? Oh, no, 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 I, I really intend to be there. It's in my diary. I'm planning to be there, but I don't know what's going to happen. I, I emailed someone recently and said, hey, do you want to be part of this thing in a year or so? And he said, well, you know, I'll, I'll think about it, but, you know, hopefully Jesus will have returned by then. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, for sure. That's what we're praying, isn't it? You see, we need to, we need to have a future stance on everything as we're thinking God willing. What exactly has got God in store for the future? So I reckon it's great for us to say God willing, God willing. It also brings up all sorts of things in conversation, doesn't it? But Paul was wanting to get there, God willing, because he wanted to get there to sort them out. But even with these good plans, he was ready to wait and see if the Lord had the same plans. But if he does get there, he will arrive with a bang. Because he wants to see whether these fancy, trendy Corinthian preachers with their expensive sneakers, whether they actually have any substance to them or not. They'll be full of sizzle, but will there be any steak? They'll be full of froth, will there, will there be any fluid? That's the question he's asking, because at the end of the day, talk is cheap. And so he says in verse 20, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it is living by God's power. See, ultimately, it doesn't matter what we say if it doesn't change how we live. It doesn't matter how impressive the preacher is if the hearers don't put it into action. And the action we need to see is people living by God's power. We need to see people living by God's power. You want to see God's power. You might say that it's going to be through a miraculous healing or someone's head spinning around or something crazy. Or you think, wow, look at this power. This is incredible. You want to see what power God really looks like? It's when someone sits down with the Bible on their own and the Lord convicts them of sin and the Lord leads them to say no to something that's, you know, maybe some sort of hidden addiction or something like that, pushes it aside and step by step they change and it changes their whole life. You want to see what the power of God looks like? It's when a person you know has been living a life and you know that they need to change and it just doesn't seem that they're going to do it and they hear the word of God and they do. Or it's, you want to see the power of God? It's when you or I read the Bible ourselves and we meet the Lord afresh by his spirit and as we encounter him, we have deep change in our life. That is the power of God. And it doesn't matter how fancy these preachers are with their fancy teeth and their fancy words and everything else. They can be doing all their fancy stuff and no one's changing. Bah, it's just hot air. You see, the kingdom of God looks like people following the king. The kingdom of God looks like people following the king, not just talking about it. 
And if God's people in his kingdom are really going to be his followers, they'll need to live out their faith in a really powerful way. And if it's not happening to Corinth, and if it's not happening to Jamboree, then we need some serious intervention. And so Paul, well, he knows it's not happening in Corinth, and so in his final verse he says to them, Well, which do you choose? Should I come with a rod to punish you, or should I come with love and a gentle spirit? Uh, can I have option B? <laughs> you know, whatever it is, option A or option B, it's pretty clear he's going to go there and he's going to discipline them. Why? Because he's their spiritual dad. And they're his spiritual kids. And he can't just let his spiritual kids run amok. He's got a relationship with them. He's got a responsibility over them. He has got a need to see them disciplined. And so he longs to discipline them as their spiritual parent. You noticed before that the word discipline is very similar to the word disciple. So that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be his disciple. And if you're a disciple, you get disciplined as you get taught. And we all do. These spiritual children in Corinth needed serious discipline. There were certain things that needed serious spiritual surgery. And he's basically saying... You don't sort yourself out before I get there. I will come down there and I will sort it out. So what is it so bad that that he needs to come in and kind of blow the place up? Well, let me give you a teaser for next week. We read in chapter 5, verse 1, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you, something that even pagans don't do. I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. That's for next week for us to look at. But you can see what it is that he's warming himself up for. He's saying, you have got to be joking. And you just let it happen? Really? He's founded this church and it's now in a spiritual mess. And he won't sit back and let it rot any further. And we're going to hear a lot more about that next week. But as we finish this chapter... It's good to just stop and reflect again on what it means to be a spiritual child and maybe also a spiritual parent. I have been blessed greatly by having spiritual parents and being part of a spiritual family as we are here together. But sometimes it's involved pain. I've had spiritual parents and spiritual leaders who who have disciplined me and, and it has caused me pain. And I am so thankful for it. If we are really prepared as a community, as a family, to grow, then we need to be ready to discipline each other and to show love and say the hard things and accept those hard things as loving. You know, my my spiritual parents rebuked me and corrected me, not because they enjoy seeing me upset. They've done it because they love me. That is what loving leadership is like. That is what a loving church is like. Because a loving church has tough love. It's all about spiritual children and parents and brothers and sisters showing genuine tough love to each other so that we might live in the kingdom of God by God's power. We don't want to be a church that's full of talk but not action, do we? We don't want to be a church that that just talks about change 
talks about God, but doesn't see any real change in our hearts. No, we want to be a church that loves to love God's word and loves to obey his commands. Because we know that as we willingly obey the word of God, we will grow to be more and more like the apostles, who are like Jesus, whom we serve. Let me close with a a well-known prayer out of our prayer book that I think really captures it. Almighty and eternal God, grant that we may grow in faith, hope and love and so that we may obtain what you promised. We ask that you'd make us love what you command through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.